Good morning, everyone. For those who do not know me, my name is Tom Sylvia. I am the associate pastor here. Normally, it is Pastor John up here preaching for us, who is the one that gave the announcements, but uh, approximately once a month or so, you get, you get me, and I'm very delighted and grateful to be up here, and uh, just thankful for also Pastor John just allowing me to have this opportunity as well. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9 today, verses 14 through 29. So that's Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. If you don't have a Bible, then you can use one of the the hardback Bible in the seat in front of you. We're going to be on page 1004 in that Bible, 1004. So per our tradition, when we read the Word, we all stand. So if you are able, will you stand with me as I read this text this morning? So that's Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29, or page 1004 in the Blue Bibles. Here we go. I'll be reading from the ESV. Verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd, saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind can only be driven out by anything but prayer. You can be seated. Let me pray. Father, Thank you so much that you have compassion on us. Thank you so much, Lord, that you sent your Son to die for our sins and to save us from the hands of the evil one. Thank you, Lord, that in your infinite strength, your infinite wisdom, and your infinite love and grace towards us, you sent your Son. And he paid the cro- on the cross the penalty of our sins. 
He endured your infinite wrath. Thank you, Lord. And today, Lord, as we approach this text, we, 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 just, we plead with you to strengthen our faith. Strengthen our faith in you. Amen. All right. I can't help but read that story and get a little emotional. And as, we get, as I go further and further in, I'll get to more as to why. But I want to go ahead and begin by telling you what is my goal? What is, what is the goal of today's sermon? And my goal is this, is that we would allow this text to motivate us and to spur us on to strengthen our faith. I want all of us in this room to resolve it today to make strengthening, strengthening your faith uh, one of your main priorities in your life. That is what I want this text to do for us. And perhaps you're already one that strives to strengthen your faith, and I want to come alongside you and let this text motivate you in your zeal. Or perhaps you're in this room and you know faith is important, but you just don't understand how faith makes a difference. And therefore, faith kind of takes a little bit of a back seat in your life. Well, I want to allow this text to make faith important, make it real to you. And perhaps you just simply want to grow your faith, but you just don't know how. Let's let this text answer that. Or you're just ambivalent towards the whole topic, and you just prioritize everything else over faith. Let's work on that through this text. Whatever category you fall into, it's my prayer that we all leave this room wanting more of Christ, wanting more faith. So how are we going to do that this morning? Well, we're going to do that through the Scriptures. We're going to allow God to speak through His Word. And in our text this morning, it contains a story in which Jesus is surrounded by a lot of people who lack faith. We, 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 we enter the story and we have the scribes present at the very beginning in verse 14. And scribes were the leaders of the leaders of authority who oversaw the interpretation of Scripture, the interpretation of the Old Testament. That was the scribes. Thus, when, that's why Peter, James, and John, when they were coming down from the mountain, they asked Jesus, why do the scribes say Elijah must come first? It was their interpretation, the scribes' interpretation in verse 11. So, the scribes don't have faith in Christ, okay? And immediately... Following Mark's conversation with the disciples, we have another transition with the other nine disciples arguing with the scribes, okay? And what, what, what's happening with the disciples? Why are the scribes challenging the disciples? Well, it's because it's centering around this story of a healing where these disciples tried to heal this boy with epilepsy and a demon, and they failed. They couldn't do it. We're going to find out later they failed because they lacked faith. And then we also have the boy's father who's a part of this story, and perhaps the boy himself. And we're going to see that even this fa the father lacked faith that Jesus could even heal his son. Every situation, every person that's being mentioned in this story is lacking faith in one way or the other. And in every situation, 
all, of this, all the events could have been resolved if the people had had faith. Now, it's, before I go any further, it's important to clarify that everyone in the world has faith. A simple definition of faith is simply a belief in something, okay? We all have faith. An atheist, one who claims that God does not exist, has faith. Now, they may deny the whole concept of faith because it's, they're fully material, but they have faith nonetheless that when they die, they will become stardust. But like all faith... Faith is only as good as the object of one's faith. Now, the object of the atheist's faith is meaningless existence and a future non-existence. That's what they're holding on to. And when a friend of an atheist is going through a difficult time or difficult life situation, all they can offer to their friend is thoughts. They're going to contribute more of their thinking time towards the person. That's what they can do. When the atheist is backed into the corner, who can they turn to? Who can they rely upon? No one. Because their faith is meaningless. It's powerless. They have nothing. There's little comfort for an atheist. And as Christians, what's our response to them? Oh, well, no. Our response to them is to offer them the hope and compassion of Jesus Christ. Let's give another example, the object of the Hindu faith. Hinduism believes in millions and millions and millions of gods. There's just a plethora of gods and goddesses. But yet, when push comes to shove, what can their gods do? Nothing. They can have all the faith they want placed in Shiva and in their gods. And whenever they begin to evoke their gods or in their corn, they need the help of their gods. If their gods does not exist, their faith is void. It does nothing for them. Okay? Your faith, our faith, is only as good as the object of our faith. So with that, let's learn about our faith today. Let's learn about the object of our faith. Who is Jesus Christ? And we're going to ask three questions of our text this morning to kind of get to the goal. And here are the three questions. The first one is, how does our faith impact our relationship with ourselves? Second one is going to be, how does our faith impact our relationship with Satan and his forces? And then the third question we're going to ask is, how can we strengthen our faith? So with that, we're going to dive into the first question. How does faith impact our relationship with ourselves? Let me reread verses 21 through 24. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And how and it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if I can... If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now we do not know how old the son is, but based on the Greek words used for him in verse 24, child, he has not yet gone through puberty. Then we also know based on the word in 21, the English word childhood, childhood in our version that this boy has been suffering with this demon since approximately three years old so my guess and it's just that a guess 
and I am no means a Greek scholar, so it's a lower guess on that, but I've th- he's been suffering for three to, anywhere between three to nine years with this demon. This helps put this story into perspective. Even if this has only been happening for three years, that means that this father and that this mother have been watching their child tossed into water, tossed into fire for the sole purpose of being destroyed and tortured by this demon. This family has been helpless and only can just watch. They can't do anything. It's devastating for this family. That's why I struggle to read it just without tears, just recognizing the situation that this family is going through. And they knew it was a demon. This family knew that this demon was doing this to their son. What would you do if you were the parents? How would you feel if you knew your child was being possessed in this way? and sought, and hurt, never knowing when the convulsions were going to take place. You can't, I can't even imagine, begin to imagine the pain and the sorrow that these parents were, were enduring, never really being able to relax because you don't know when the next episode is going to uh, start up and flare up again. Always being on the alert. And then they hear the rumors of a man named Jesus. They hear this man and the stories of this man healing the lame, healing the blind, the sick. And they even hear that he can cast out demons. The father wonders, could it be? Could someone really heal my son? Could my family's years of sorrow be removed? Could this man, Jesus, help my son to live a normal life? Help my family, myself, to live a normal life? So what does the father do? He seeks for Jesus. He goes and finds him. And he finds the disciples at this particular moment. And you know what? This is a win for the father. The father, it's not Jesus per se, but it's the disciples. And what have the disciples been doing? They've been learning from Jesus. They've been walking with Jesus. They've already experienced all those stories of what Jesus can do. So maybe the disciples have been able to learn from Jesus. Maybe they can handle. Maybe... Jesus passed on this wisdom to the disciples and they can do it. Heal the boy. The father, think about the emotions, the expectation building up within the father and the mother and the boy. But what happens? The disciples failed him. They couldn't heal the boy. All of this. And then here's the answer, potential answer and. They didn't heal his son. How long did the father have to live with that disappointment? We don't know, but it's at least a couple hours from where the disciples tried and where Jesus came back. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the mountain to the Mount of Transfiguration, which John preached on last week. And they were, they were gone. And to come down the mountain, it It took them, they came back the next day. We know this from Luke chapter 9, verse 37. And a crowd of this size and the argument between the disciples and the scribes, that doesn't just happen in seconds. The crowd begins to assemble and the argument builds. The tussle was building and brewing. And it's all over this boy. 
And so the father here, his faith and hope were in this man, Jesus, heard the stories, left home to go seek Jesus, found the disciples, disciples failed his son, and now the father has subjected him and his son to be the center of this attention, this argument. All around them, the people are arguing. And here's him and his boy helpless. What does the father do? How does he react? He stays. That's how he reacts. He doesn't leave. He stays. This, is, this matters. He waits. Why? Why doesn't he immediately leave? Why does, he, why does he stay? Why is he enduring all of this? Because Jesus' disciples failed, but Jesus hasn't tried yet. He's holding out for Jesus. The Father believes Jesus can so he waits. Now, we've got to pause because this tension has been building in this whole story. And at the beginning, I've already said that everyone in this story lacks faith. And now I've just said that this man believes Jesus can. So does he, lack, does he believe Jesus can heal him or does he not believe Jesus can heal the boy? Which is it? And the answer is yes. He believes both. He believes Jesus can, and at the same time, he doesn't believe Jesus can. Verse 24, I believe Jesus, but help my unbelief. This statement summarizes all of us. It's not unique to him. Is it not true that some of life's most difficult battles are the ones we fight within ourselves? Who's our biggest enemy? Ourself. How much unbelief do you have mixed in with your belief? The Father sees Jesus. Jesus, if, if you can, heal my son. <laughs> if I can? Jesus replies. Don't we say the same thing though? Do we not know who Jesus is? Do we not know that Jesus is God, fully God the one who has created the universe at the power of His Word. The one who made the mountains, set limits on the oceans that they can never pass. The one who every day rises the sun and then lowers the sun. Do we, do we not know who this Jesus is? If I can, of course Jesus can. But yet, do we really always believe it? Let me give you three examples of how we have a lot of unbelief mixed in with our belief. And this is, going to come into, this is going to come into play with our faith. So let me give you these three examples here. And I could have gotten gone more. But one, we believe God. We believe God is strong enough to help people overcome sin, except for my sin, for my personal sin. God can take care of everyone else's sin except for mine. Belief and unbelief. What sin do you currently struggle with? Where are you falling short? What burdens are you carrying right now? How long have you carried them? Have you ever talked to a friend, met with a pastor, Googled resources, or made a plan uh, to help you overcome your sin? And then in the research or in the conversations, you find people and you're like, oh wow, those, they've overcome this. It can be done. You get that motivation to then move forward, but you know what? That brief season of motivation wears off quickly and you're back to square one. 
The burden is just as heavy as before, if not heavier, with the inclusion of disappointment. Your mind begins to say things like, oh, I believe Jesus can save me from my sins, but not this sin. I believe God works in me. In fact, I can testify to God's grace, but I cannot testify to His power over this sin. He'll work in all these other areas of my life. This sin is too strong. The father thought that the demon was potentially too strong for Jesus, so he had to add the word if to his request. After you've been struggling with your sin, have you found yourself changing the words of your prayer? Have you gone from saying, Lord, in your grace and in your power, help me to defeat this sin. Give me freedom. Was that what your starting prayer was? And now it's become, Lord, if you can, if you can help me beat this sin, your prayer is weakened. Maybe you think something like this. Yes, yes. Oh, Lord, I know you can, but right now I just don't know if you have the time. You don't have the time for me, a nobody. I'm just a small fish in the sea of fish. Let me share some wisdom I've heard from two young men in our church. And I'm, I'm just sidestep this. I really love to quote you guys. I'm talking about church from uh, here because I want you just to know I'm not learning just from all these theologians of the past and future, but I'm learning from you all. And these two young men, one was uh, Caleb Bechtel, talking about how much God cares and loves us. He says, Jesus was God, and he could have healed all the city at once. But instead, he chose to heal them one by one, meeting each person where they were at. (laughs) Wow. All that power, but yet he is coming to each and every one of us. Elvis Fritz, he said, Oh, if Jesus' only mission was to die, then he could have just done that. He could have just died. Instead, he chose to live for 30 years among us, tempted among us, mocked among us, and then he died for us. (laughs) There's no one in this room too pathetic or too worthless or too great of a sinner that Jesus does not desire to save. He will not allow one of his children to go without comfort or his grace, not even for a moment. He has the power to overcome your sin. He's given us the Spirit. Depend upon Him. He has the time and He has an abundance of it. Devote yourself to Him. Let Him in. He knows the pain and the sorrow you feel, but has the power to overcome any sin that contributes to those feelings. As we learn in the parable of the prodigal son, we have a Father that welcomes us with open arms and compassion. So run, flee, run to Him. Oh, we believe Jesus, but help, help, help our unbelief. Let me give you another way unbelief comes in. We believe God is a loving God, a compassionate and kind, except for my personal situation. We know God, His name is Jehovah Jireh. That is one of God's names that means God who provides. In fact, most of us have probably counseled a friend or another church member with this statement. God is not caught off guard. He will provide. Trust Him. That's the statement, the general statement. Or you hear about someone's situation and it seems 
like they have exhausted all their resources and this person doesn't know what to do. What is the advice? What's, what, do you, what, do you, what do you say? What do you, how do you comfort them? Don't worry, God's there. He's in control. Those are the words. That is fantastic advice. Continue to give it. Continue to give it. But how often do we fail to observe our own advice? When the tables are turned, it's easy for us to, from the outside to look in and say, don't worry, God's going to provide. But what about when it's us? Now, all of a sudden, we need to hear that advice. Now, all of a sudden, we don't believe the advice that we once were giving. Unbelief mixed in with belief. We have the faith that He'll provide the others, but often we lack the faith that He will provide for us. Let me give you another example. We believe in confessing and confronting sin, except for our own personal sin. James 5.16, biblical command. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The biblical command to confess sin to one another. We even see the benefits of doing so. We believe that. We believe James 5.16. Except when the moment comes that we have to confess our sin. Unbelief begins to come and unbelief wins the day. It's not easy to do to confess your sin. It's easier to keep it to yourself and let it consume you from the inside out. We would rather listen to the voices of our sin than the words of the living God. What does our sin tell us? Don't confess. You're strong enough to deal with this yourself. You, you, don't, you don't need their help. You got this burden. You're not enslaved. I'm not enslaved by my sin. I'm not stuck to sin's desires. No, I have it all under control. That's what sin deceives us into believing. How about these thoughts? I can't confess my sin. You do know, you know what my spouse would think of me if I began to, began to tell her the truth about my sin? Do you imagine what my friends would begin to think of me if I began to share my sin with them? Oh, no, 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 no. I know we're going to confess sin, and I'm going to confess sin, but I'm not going to confess this sin. This sin doesn't have to be confessed. I believe, Jesus, but I'll help my unbelief. <laughs> do, you, do you see that mixture there? How we're struggling? What about, what about when we have to confront sin? We all have sin. We all need to be confronted of our sin. And you know what? We all have the responsibility to confront sin in others. So we have the responsibility to confront and to be confronted in our sin. But we, and we all believe we're blind to our sin, but for some reason when it actually happens, we're, we're caught off guard. We're surprised. We get defensive and angry. Oh, don't call out my sin. We begin to point the finger back at them. Oh, if you would do this instead, now it becomes their problem, not mine. This is unbelief. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I'm blind. But you know what? I know they're wrong, and I did not appreciate that. <laughs> I, I mean, I could keep on going, and I could keep on going, but unbelief is a battle that we all fight every moment of the day. It is not unique to the Father alone in this story. Do you, do you, and do you see when Jesus like, oh, you faithless and twisted generation, faith would have helped this man. Do you see how important our faith is 
and how we live our lives and impacts us every moment of the day. The Father's learning this lesson. Our sin impacts everything about us. <laughs> the way we act towards others, our emotional health throughout the day, our relation with God, everything is impacted by sin. We have to have faith in Christ to overcome our sin. It changes everything. Jesus sees the impact of unbelief amongst the people around Him, and He is sympathizing with them, and He is saying, oh, sin, go away, and He is going to die for all of our sins. He already did die. It's not future. It happens. So if you're not prioritizing strengthening your faith, then please make it your goal to do that today. Let me move on to the second question we need to ask of this text. How does our faith impact our relationship with Satan and his forces? I'm not going to reread the whole story, but let me just give you a quick recap of what this family is going through. Remember, this son is being tormented by this demon, and the family knows it. And on top of that, the child couldn't speak or hear, okay? I ache for this family. They could do absolutely nothing. There was nothing this family could do. Just, just last year, my daughter had a, uh, <coughs> had a febrile seizure. And you know, that's a, that's a seizure that's triggered by just a high fever in young kids. And it was the first and only one she'd ever have. She's fine. Uh, she's recovered plenty well. Uh, but when it happened, it was approximately this time last year, about a month ago, she was with Carissa when it began to happen, and she just began to have convulsions, and she was losing it, lost unconsciousness for like 30 minutes, and what could Carissa do? <laughs> she couldn't do anything. I got home as quick as I could. What could I do? I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even really hold her because you're not supposed to with the seizures and convulsing. I was powerless. All we could do was wait for the, the medics and the ambulance to arrive, which we called, but other than that, we couldn't do anything. I was devastated. I was in despair. And that's nothing what this family is going through. They're living with it. Without Christ, this is it. Without Christ, if you're in here and you don't believe, you're just a pawn in Satan and his forces game. You've got nothing. But we know that a child of God cannot be possessed by a demon. Because 2 Corinthians 6, 14-18, read it later, please. But we're indwelt by the Spirit of God, and there's no room for any of his demons or Satan himself. He's kicked them out. But Scripture is clear that Satan and demons do use evil, pain, and sickness to accomplish their purposes, their, their plan. They... He, he brings about torment. Scriptures are clear. And they're also clear that they possess people. There's no denying this. And this is awful news looking at this through the eyes of the world. And it still, I mean, it still happens today. Does demon possession happen today? Yes. Does it happen as much as we like to believe? It probably happens more than we think. But I want, us to, I want us to draw our attention, and before I go further, not every sickness or epilepsy is a result of demonic warfare. I need to get that out there, but they can do it, okay? 
I mean, you know, let's, but I want to draw our attention here to the, the power of faith when we have our faith in Christ, because I want us just to look that we don't just have the ability to fight back. <laughs> we have the ability to dominate the enemy. <laughs> Let me read verses 20 and just 25 here. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, spirit demon, when the demon saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, the demon, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him, never enter him again. (laughs) This is an absolutely amazing statement. Just by seeing Jesus, the demon responds. (laughs) It panics. (laughs) Jesus hadn't even touched the boy yet. He didn't even give any commands to the demon, and the demon was already responding in anger and fear just at the sight of our God. As a side note, when you're going to confront evil with the gospel, you better be ready for a confrontation. This demon is doing everything it can to flee, but it doesn't work one bit. Jesus issues the command and it must go. No option for the demon, no free will for him. He left. And he was simply gone and defeated. This command was not only for that moment, but it was enough to bind this demon for all eternity. There will never be an opportunity for that demon to go close to this boy ever again. So his command, wow, the power of his word. And you know what? This story, what I I read in the story and look at the language of Mark, it's telling a greater story here. It's foretelling something that's going to happen in Mark at the end of his gospel. When you, uh, when you were reading the story, were any of the words reminding you of another event that took place in the Bible? Perhaps the gospel? The crowd looked on the boy and said, oh, they thought he is dead. What did Jesus do? He lifted him up and he arose All these words are being intentional to foreshadow a gospel, the death of Jesus and the resurrection that's coming. And when does he do this? Well, he's doing this with a demon possession. When else did Satan and his army possess someone? Oh, it was a snake in the garden of Adam and Eve. Snake possessed, or snake, Satan possessed a snake and came upon Eve and tempted Eve. What happened? Adam and Eve fell into sin from that moment forward. Satan declared war on God that day, and on that same day, Jesus declared victory. Genesis 3.15, the first mention of the gospel. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is a gospel account. The Proto-Evangelion, the first mention of the gospel. It's Jesus right here. And now possession has happened again, and he is declaring his gospel, his re- death and resurrection over this demon. <laughs> Do we see the parallels? This, bo- this demon possessed a, a boy, and Jesus says, Get out of him. The boy looks dead. I will lift you to life again. What does this mean for us? It means that Satan can tempt us. He can absolutely tempt us. But because of our faith, we can rest on the solid rock of Christ. To Him we cling. And with a resolute voice, we can say, Get behind me, Satan. 
It means Satan can try and attack us, but because we have the shield of faith, we can laugh at his worthless attempts. It means Satan can feebly deceive us, but by faith we wear the belt of truth and we can declare it is written. And it means Satan can accuse us. His name is the accuser. He can accuse us, but because of our faith and the breastplate of righteousness, we are cleansed by the blood of Christ. We don't have to say anything at all because our representative, Jesus Christ, the righteous, he steps in and says, mine. Satan's got nothing. He's got nothing. Do you understand the importance of faith and what role it plays in your life? Our faith is not just a one-time use for salvation that you can recollect in the past and shelve it until you once again need it for the present. It's not our faith we don't just put in the bank to store up for a future use. It's applicable and ready now. Our faith is not to be worked on only on Sundays, but Monday through Friday, especially 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. 1 Peter 1, 6-7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 4, everyone who has been born of God, regenerated, saved, that's what it's getting at, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith impacts everything about us. So why would we not seek it to make our priority, our greatest priority in our life to strengthen, to exercise, to use there's much more I can keep going, but time's not going to allow me. So we have to answer our third question this morning. If, if I want you to prioritize growing your faith, strengthening your faith, then how do you do it? How do we strengthen our faith? I'm going to give you two ways to grow your faith. And there, there's most certainly other ways, but these two are foundational. And I'm not mentioning them any, in any order of importance, okay? These are equally important. The first way to increase your faith, it is essential that you increase your knowledge of the Scriptures. Without knowledge, there is no faith. The two are intertwined. What did the Father say to Jesus in verse 22? If you can, Jesus, if you can. When we understand the person who He is talking to, you can understand how absurd the statement is. That's like going up to Albert Einstein and saying, if you can solve 2 plus 2, if you can, like, of course he can. It's Einstein. The statement is absurd. Of course Jesus can. Why would he think he couldn't? Because he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know that he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He doesn't know that he has come to bring salvation and set the captives free. He doesn't know that all things must command him at the sound of his word. You want to strengthen your faith, then you must study your Bible. You cannot believe the promises of God unless you know the promises of God. 
You must read your Bible and discuss it with other Christians. You can't just learn in a vacuum. You're a sinner. You must grow in your knowledge of the Scriptures, and your faith will never outpace your biblical knowledge. It cannot do that. You cannot, you cannot move forward. You cannot seek to know how the Lord wants you to move unless you know Him and His will, which is clearly revealed in the Scriptures. Knowledge and faith, they're essential, and they are intertwined, and they cannot be separated. Let me give you the second answer because I'm running on, out on time. Your, the strength of your faith is dependent on the strength of your prayer life. You want to grow your faith, then you must grow it through prayer. I believe it was, it was A.W. Tozer that says, As a man prays, so he is. As a woman prays, so she is. Let me give you look, look at the text. What does it say in verse 28 and 29? And when he had entered the house, Jesus entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why? Why, Jesus, could we not cast out this demon? And he said to him, This kind... This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They failed because they didn't pray. However, listen to Matthew's account. We read this as a church. Matthew 17, 20. Same question. He's, why couldn't they do it? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Matthew says they failed because they lacked the faith. Which one is it? Did they fail because they didn't pray? Or was it because they didn't have faith? The answer is yes. It's both. They didn't, they didn't have either. You cannot separate faith from prayer. Why do we even pray to begin with? We pray because we believe God hears us. We pray because we believe God. we need God to do it for us. We need Him. Lord, help! Why do we choose not to pray? Because we think we can do it on our own. We think we, we, don't, th we, think we don't need God for this task because we have the strength within ourselves. What we're really saying is we have faith in ourselves. And the more faith you have in yourself, the less you can give to Christ. John Owen the Puritan, my favorite, says, the neglect of prayer is practical atheism. <laughs> Tom, I just don't have time to pray. You don't have time not to pray Amen. with this hustle and bustle going on in this life. All the world wanting you, pushing you from all directions. You must pray. You can't afford not to pray. The reason you have little is because you ask little. You little faith, pray. Pray. Tom, I don't know how to pray it. I understand the sentiment, but don't stay there. Don't stay in that state of ignorance. You, now you know you need to pray. So come, learn. Ask me. Ask any of the pastors. We'll teach you. We want to teach you. You want to overcome your sin? Pray. You, wanna, you want the strength to confess your sin? Pray. You want wisdom in making a decision about whatever's going on in your life? Pray. Do you want God to work in your life? Pray. Are you tempted? Pray. You want more faith? Pray. You want God to restore your marriage? Pray. You want more of God? Pray. You want to battle your unbelief? Pray. Everything. Give me another problem. Pray. Historically, the church has said prayer is like breathing. It is needed for life. And I agree. If we neglect to pray, then we're playing with death. 
when and how do you begin? You begin now, and you begin to talk to God now. How strong is your faith? Well, you can't answer this question on a scale of 1 to 10. There is no sliding scale here. It's measured by the strength of your prayers. Let me give you another quote from John Owen. We get a lot of Charles Spurgeon in this church, but sometimes we need more John Owen, okay? If unbelief is the greatest of sins, and it is, what happens if you don't believe in Jesus, okay? You see, I have all the examples I gave you of how unbelief was allowing us to deny the promises of God. If unbelief is the greatest of sins, and if faith is the greatest of gifts of God, what happens when we have faith? Eternal life, unbelief, eternal death, okay? We are not Christians if these things are not the main part in the content of our prayers. Lord, give me more faith. Strengthen my faith. Lord, you are the one who gave me the faith. Now strengthen it. How much more so will he give us more faith when we ask him? I want to give my kids lots of gifts, and I want to give them good ones. And the Father's already given us faith. How much more so is he going to want to make it more and more stronger and stronger and stronger if we ask? We are saved by faith alone and Christ alone. And our faith is the means in which we are saved. Therefore, if you've not committed into growing your faith, then you need to resolve to do it today. We are a people of faith. So let's put it to use. What good is it if you never use it? Continue to learn. Grow in your knowledge of the Scriptures. Pray to the Lord of our faith. Pray for the Lord to remove your unbelief. I'm going to leave you with this question this morning. As I, as, I, as I said at the beginning, will you make it your goal to prioritize your faith? Will you commit to strengthening your faith today? Don't just walk out of here with a yes. Walk out of here with a resolve to read your scriptures. Walk out of here with a resolve to pray with your spouse, with your friends, with other believers. Walk out of here depending on Him for everything. Let's pray. Father, we need You. Lord, there is, we do believe in You. We confess that You are sovereign. We proclaim that You have come to save us from our sins. But Lord, in our flesh, we also believe we're stuck in our sin. Lord, remove this unbelief. In our, in our flesh, sometimes, Lord, we think you're not able to provide. Remove this unbelief, Lord. Lord, help us throughout the week to identify our unbelief and strengthen, remo- strengthen our unbelief and turn it to belief through your word. Lord, give us more faith. We, we want to trust you more now than, what we tr- than how much we trusted you before we walked into this building today. Increase our faith, Lord. We need you. We want you to act. Amen.